So today, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12 to chapter 2, verse 5. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You've made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Should we pray? Oh Lord, would you take this ancient word today? these thousands of year old sayings and would you show, show us what it means about justice, about evil, about bullies and wrongdoing. Would you show us what it means about you, we pray, and what it means for our lives. I pray you bless us, Father. Thank you for this peaceful moment here and we pray so much that we might walk out of here changed by your Holy Spirit through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Did anything make you long for justice this week? Anything like press down on you and make you think, oh, I long for the time when this will be sorted out. Personally, I was listening to the news and hearing about that precious baby, Victoria, you know, baby of um, Constance Martins and Mark Gordon and thinking, oh Lord, that little one, why, why should she have such a, a rough time? Why, why such a a rough upbringing and indeed if this is her remains that have been found in that shed near Brighton how is that fair Lord would you sort that out maybe you listen to the same story as me or or there's some other injustice in your life so last week we started off listening to Habakkuk the prophet and he he is one who complains to God right so he he is uh, a prophet who allows us this model of pouring out his heart to God and saying Lord, what's this about? Why this injustice in my country, in my land, and in my life? And we were learning from him last week, and we're going to continue together uh, this week and the next couple. We saw last week, surprisingly, God actually made it worse initially. Do you remember that? And, and we ended up thinking, oh, uh, this is not what we would expect, but we're hanging on. 
And this week you'll be glad to hear. We're on the upward incline. So, so we're gonna, as Habakkuk goes on, he gets more joyful. There, there is more singing that comes out of his lungs than, than there was at the beginning. And uh, this week we're heading into the second cycle in Habakkuk, which we're actually going to split into two just because it's a bit longer. Today I want to show you, we will hear the Lord telling Habakkuk to wait because the end will certainly come. Okay? Wait, Habakkuk. The end will certainly come. Indeed, in chapter 2, verse 3, if you've got your Bible open still, chapter 2, verse 3, if I could give you one verse to take away today, it would be that one. It says in there, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. If we, were, if we grew up in the Far East, I think our default mode would be to think of time in a circle. You know, that kind of Eastern idea of reincarnation. So, oh, you kind of, you go around once and then you might get reincarnated and go around again and there's this great big circle of life. That's kind of Eastern thought. Actually, most of us probably grew up in the West and we might have grown up with this vague idea that it's kind of chaos, which we might be able to pull ourselves out of eventually. You know, if, if you're like a Western atheist materialist, there's no great meaning in the world, but if you're strong enough, you can pull yourself up out of the chaos and get yourself on some trajectory you sort out for yourself. But actually, Christians have always seen a, a different way of thinking, not a great big circle forever and ever, not just a chaotic mess in which the strong survive, but a, a straight line. So history is like this great big straight line because God has designed it to be so. And he's appointed Jesus Christ at the end of the line to be the, the judge. So we are heading towards this great justice day. And Christians have always taken great hope in that. Because even when you're experiencing injustices now, you can say, yeah, but I know where we're going. And we're going for this justice day at the end of time. So like last week, we're going to do it in three sections. We'll do uh, what Habakkuk said, because he goes first. Then we'll do what God said. And then we'll talk about what we can do as a result. Okay? Habakkuk, God, us. Let's start off with Habakkuk and what he said. If I were to try and summarize it, it would, it would be he, he is saying, look, why this wickedness, Lord, in verses 12 to chapter 2, verse 1? In particular, why do you tolerate the wickedness of the Babylonians, Lord? Because they are bullies. I've got a bit of work for you to do, so I'm going to read out verses 12 to 13. And could you count the question marks? And then I'll ask you in a moment how many question marks are there in verses 12 to 13. Okay, here goes. Verse 12. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? How many question marks do you get? Three. Everyone get three? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, you're with me. Yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I've got one more little task, so don't, don't, don't fall asleep just yet. Don't fall asleep at all. Uh, how many times do you say you or your in verses 12 and 13? You or your. I'll give you a moment in quiet. Anybody think they've got it? I counted eight. So you or your, I think, I think I'm right. 
eight. I had longer to think about it than you. Okay. But you get the idea. So what I'm, what I'm saying is, he's asking questions and he's asking you, Lord, you, why do you do this? Okay. So he's in the second person directed towards God. And he's questioning, why, Lord, this wickedness? When he says you've appointed them to execute judgment, he's talking about the Babylonians, this, this horrid army that were overrunning his country, Judah. So that's what he's, he's going on about. And he's got this issue, Habakkuk, because he's been well taught, right? See if this is familiar to you. On the one hand, he's saying, look, Lord, they are horrible. They are, they are so mean. And they, they don't have, like, any morals. So they just come in here with their big army, and they, they hurt people, they kill people, and they, they actually gather them up and take them into exile, which is probably what was happening at the time. So he says, Lord, they are vicious bullies. On the other hand, Lord, you're holy, and you're pure, and your eyes are too good to look on evil. So I know that about you. I've heard that about you. I'm a faithful Jewish guy, but... I, I I'm struggling here. What's, what's going on? How can you, can you have the wickedness of them on the one hand and the holiness of God on the other hand? Do you get the idea? Maybe you've wondered that yourself. And he had develops his analogy of a fisherman with a big net in verses 14 to 17. So he says, you've made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. So dragnet was like, you know, when the ancient fishermen they'd have a giant net and they'd drag it behind the boat and oh, they'd catch loads of fish hopefully for them but he says this is like some wicked horrid fisherman who says he's oh, sort of cackling as he's I've got so many fish but Habakkuk's saying look, look they're not fish they're people and this Babylonian army oh, you know they're like pulling up loads of these people and gathering them and at the time it seems they were they were taking people almost in a net and carting them off into exile to Babylon so the year is probably 597 BC and this really happened you can go to the British Museum in Hoburn and you can see inscriptions of the Jewish people being dragged into exile they're all like they've got ropes around them and they're all being dragged in a line off to Babylon so you see how that's problem he's saying look I don't really get this Lord uh, you, I asked you the first time and you said oh, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians and now I'm watching it happen and it's still awful so this may have been some years later when he writes his second cycle verse 16 therefore he sacrifices to a net and burns incense to his dragnet for by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food is he to keep on emptying his net destroying nations without mercy Lord are you going to let this carry on it seems like he's just living in luxury Now, in modern terms, what does that look like? Well, there is, there's still cruelty, isn't there? Still people who raise armies and do unjust things. We know that. Personally, I couldn't help thinking of the, the Uyghur people in northwest China. You know, it, it certainly seems like for them, they've been just being rounded up and put in detainment camps. And this was a famous photo that was uh, released a few years ago. You seen that one? Of just men in boiler suits lined up in this um, labour camp and as far as I can, I can tell this is a real photo and I mean seeing that can you see that can you see the great big green fence around them with razor wire on top couldn't help being reminded of a great big net they're just being rounded up for no great reason these Uyghur people and put into a giant net how long are you going to let that go on for So this is what the prophet is saying, and we've been encouraging you to say that you were allowed to complain to God where we see injustice in the world. Perhaps we can understand what he's getting at when he says, why this wickedness, Lord? 
That's the first thing. Second thing, we said, well, let's look at what God has to say. And this is in verses 2 to 5. If I were to summarize what God says, it would just simply be, wait. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on, the tablets, on tablets so that the herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of an end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Wait for it. There's a basic distinction here between greedily gathering and faithfully waiting. So let's just push into that a little bit. First of all, God says, don't be one who greedily gathers. Because in verse 4, see, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave. And like death, is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and takes captive all the peoples. So God, God is saying, that I see Babylon. I get it. They're, they're greedy, as greedy as the grave. You hear about Roald Dahl recently? And how there's this move by Puffin Books to sort of clean up Roald Dahl's rather blunt uh, literature and um, make it so that things weren't so offensive for modern readers. I think they've actually rode back on that and they've, they've said, okay, you can have your original Roald Dahl books, which personally I think is the right thing to do. But, you know, in our household, Roald Dahl's blunt lines are, are kind of his best lines. You know in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, if you know the story, there's this, there's this greedy kid called Augustus Gloop and he wants oh, I just want to drink all the, all the chocolate in the river in, the, in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and, and the rhyme goes, Augustus Gloop, Augustus Gloop, the great big greedy nincompoop. And that, I mean, that, that rhyme is really enjoyed in, in my house because it sort of sums up Augustus Gloop and what he's doing wrong and it allows you to see the, the ugliness of what he's doing. And so too, Habakkuk the prophet, indeed most of the prophets in the Old Testament, they're a bit rolled dar like in their bluntness. You know? They just hit it on the nose normally. And sure enough here, they say, look, these Babylonians, they are as greedy as the grave. They're puffed up. They're just gorging themselves on other people's wealth and on all these nations. And they think they're so clever. It fits indeed with what we were saying about the fisherman, doesn't it? Always greedily gathering fish in his net, living in luxury. You might be able to think of world leaders at the moment who are greedily gathering land or wealth to add to their already enormous countries or treasuries. You might be able to think of rich people that you know or you've heard of who, wow, it feels like they're never satisfied, never quite got enough, always greedily gathering a little bit more so they've got a a softer cushion to sit on or a bigger buffer against hard times. But then, don't forget to ask yourself, you know, do I feel that temptation too? I know I do. You know, it's pretty tempting to greedily gather just a little bit more, isn't it? Get a little bit extra, a little bit more luxury, a little bit more comfort. Perhaps to get family or employees or housemates or even church members to do what we want them to do so that we can have a little bit more luxury. But the Lord here is, is blunt, and he says the, ha- uh, the Babylonians, they're greedy, they're, they're puffed up. So don't live like that, greedily gathering. I see that, it's, it's the wrong thing to do. And then the Lord says, rather, be one who faithfully waits. Right? So that's our alternative here, the Lord says. Wait for it. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. That, right, 
Have a look, would you, at that crucial line. That's chapter 2, verse 4. You see that? Wait for it. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. That's a short line in the Bible. And you might think, well, that's not that important. That's just a little, that's the blink of an eye buried in an Old Testament prophet somewhere in the back of the Bible. Yeah, that line is much more important than meets the eye. That line gets quoted three times in the New Testament to show the magnitude and the magnificence of what God was planning. Faithful waiting. I'll come back to that in a moment to try and show you its incredible biblical value. But just for the time being, notice this is what you're called to as a Christian. Faithful waiting. I had a great aunt who's gone to be with Jesus now. She was called Wilhelmina. and She was Dutch, hence the slightly strange name. And we, you, we called her Auntie Min. And uh, she died a few years ago now in her 90s. I had the privilege of taking her funeral. And Auntie Min, she faithfully waited. She was so shy, she could barely talk to her great nieces and nephews. She's, I don't think she's just a sort of shy person, who, particularly quiet. And uh, she never married, but she was a, my goodness, faithful sister to my grandma, faithful great aunt, faithful at her church, faithful in prayer. She just waited 90 something years until she could go and meet Jesus. It's very special to lead her funeral and be able to talk about her life. Nothing to grab the headlines, but lots that was of great worth in God's sight. Here we return to the main idea of Habakkuk. You know, last week, if you were here, we said, look, joy is possible because justice is definite. And Auntie Min's life, it kind of plays into that. So if you, you can faithfully wait as a Christian. If you know where the universe is heading, then you're able to say, I'm okay, actually. I've, I've got questions. I've got some complaints for the Lord. I've got things that I'm working on justice-wise. But I'm okay because I know where the universe is going. Joy is possible because justice is definite. And that, I mean, that, that has all sorts of impacts on how you live now. You can wait faithfully. You also fight for justice. So I, <clears throat> as, a, as a history student doing my A-level history, I used to love reading about Martin Luther King and the American Civil Rights Movement because he had this amazing way of insisting on peace. You know, Martin Luther King said so he, he led that movement as a Baptist pastor in the Deep South in amongst so much injustice. And he'd say to his people, don't fight back with violence. That's not what we do. We, we are a, we're a non-violent movement. And to my mind, he, he achieved that so much, despite eventually being assassinated for it. And he changed the course of history by that. I'm convinced he got that from his Christian belief. So if, if as he believed that, that justice is going to be achieved in the long run, then that means you don't have to be the guy with the strongest muscles or the biggest army right now, because you're waiting for Jesus to do all that. And in the meantime, you know what the right and the wrong thing to do is. So you're able to, to quietly just keep insisting, that's wrong. You can't do that. It's the wrong thing to do. That's not fair. So it gives you both the ability to confront injustice now and to wait for it. If you don't believe in Judgment Day, then I think the whole of history is a bit like a bar brawl. You know, it's just like a punch-up in an alleyway. If, if, if you're strong, you'll probably win, and if you're weak, you'll probably lose. Sorry but that's not the universe I live in. I live in the one with Jesus Christ as Lord. 
Okay, get the idea? So we've been looking at what God said and we said that there's this choice. You, you could be greedily gathering or you could be faithfully waiting. And then finally, let's turn to our third thing, which is to think about what we can do. I think it's beautifully simple today. I think it's there in verse four, like we said in that crucial phrase. It's God's invitation to you this morning, which goes like this. Will you live by faithfulness? Let's just return to verse four and roost there as we think about our lives in the 21st century. As I said, it's so important here, it's quoted three times in the New Testament, which is actually quite hard to get done. If you're, if you're anybody in the New Testament, it's quite hard to be quoted three times, but Habakkuk manages it. Imagine for a second you, you don't have a New Testament. You've just got the Old Testament part of your Bible, the front two thirds. You don't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You've never read them or heard of them. You've not heard the name Jesus Christ. Pontius Pilate and the crucifixion, that means nothing to you. Easter is not a word that you've heard. Christmas, not something you've celebrated. You've never heard of Paul or Peter. You've just got this. You've got Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, towards the end of your Bible. See how brief it is? But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. It's so terse, it's so scant. Amazingly, there are Jews who just held on to promises like that and they went, yes, this is it. This is the precious thing. This is the glint. Of, this is all I need for the centuries ahead. You know, something's going to happen in the future. And they stood on that and they grabbed hold of that. But how much more, how much better to be a Christian? Because suddenly into technical, it explodes the New Testament. You know, Do you want one gospel? How about two? How about four? Just to reassure you that Jesus Christ is Lord. How about I give you letters written to the early churches that are historically reliable so that you could know this really happened. How about I give you a resurrection with like angel appearances and Jesus appearing to 500 people at one time just to reassure you that I'm as good as my promise, God is saying. The New Testament writers put things in writing because they saw in Habakkuk 2 verse 4 in part as well as in many other prophets and promises this idea that there was a spring in the Old Testament, God's promise like here, that was going to feed into a river that was going to feed into an ocean of worldwide blessing. The righteous one will live by his faithfulness. I put on your um, your, your sermon sheets these three New Testament quotations. You might be able to see them there. I won't go into great depths now, but they, these are beautiful. Habakkuk, chap, um, beg your pardon, Hebrews chapter 10, that quotes it, and the point there is, wait. If you wait, if you persevere, the end will come. Romans chapter 1, the start of the magnificent book of Romans, the point there, Paul uses Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 as his like, thesis text for the whole book, and he says that God always meant this to be about faith. You are always going to be invited to put your trust in someone amazing. And then Galatians chapter 3, Paul uses it there as a basic counterpoint. He says, this is not by works, it's not by the law, because even the prophets were talking about something that was going to be achieved by faith. Hebrews 10, Romans 1, Galatians 3. It captures the essence of what's required of a Christian. It's not about works, not about being stronger than Babylon, not about getting your own back, but it's about being faithful to the God who can do all of those things for you. God is strong, God is good, God will bring justice and he calls us to live by faithfulness, trusting him to do it. So live by faithfulness. You might be thinking, yeah, but is it worth it? I mean, you're calling me, if, if you're talking about this, this long term, you're talking about your great aunt in your 90s, then that's a long time. And I'm, I'm having to give things up for Jesus every day. 
But let's talk about that for a moment, shall we, before we finish. I'm saying, yes, it is worth it because of who Jesus is. Uh, first practical suggestion, Brian mentioned Revive. I mean, do, if you can get yourself to Revive, do come to Revive. It's, it's a great time. It's our, it's our annual church time away together. And the theme this year is faithful through the storm. So if you want to know about faithfulness, if you can get yourself to Canterbury this summer at the end of June, it's going to be a blessing to you, I think. Uh, Brian mentioned finances. Please don't let finances stop you. We'd be delighted to help you get there as a church if we can. Maybe that you fear missing out on justice. You, you think, well, what, what if I let this go and God doesn't resolve it? Well, this gives you the motivation to fight for justice now, non-violently. Because like we said, you know the difference between right and wrong. I understand in uh, DC Comics there's something called the Justice League. I know nothing about this, but it, that's like a thing, right, in the comic world, and there are all these superheroes, and they do justice in the world. What struck me, knowing nothing about it, that um, Christians are a bit like the Justice League. You know, not because not we're superheroes and we, we have to wear lycra or anything, but there's just so many of us, and, and God has told us all what he wants. So if we just keep going, we just keep, keep getting up and going again. And even if they kill us, there's, just, there's more Christians to take our place. So it's a bit like God's church are the Justice League. So in the short term, you know, if there is some cause of justice you're involved in, don't give up. The righteous one will live by faithfulness. Maybe you could pick up your pen again. Maybe you could write a letter or an email again. Maybe you could go on a march again. Maybe you could just say that's wrong again, even though you've said it a hundred times already. You don't need to miss out on justice. You may fear you miss out on luxury. And you know, it, it does talk about luxury here, doesn't it? Verse 16 says the Babylonians, they loved the luxury that came from their ruthless, greedy lifestyle. But Christians, we know we've got a lavish God who's the giver of every luxurious gift in the first place. So if you know him, you don't have to fear missing out. The new creation will be full of incredible joy, just like this new creation. I can't even imagine what God is going to do in terms of luxury, comfort, joy, and fascination with the created world. And in the meantime, I have this great reassurance that he'll provide for all my needs. And indeed, he will for the church. So we don't need to fear we'll miss out on luxury. We can give ourselves away again tomorrow. Maybe you fear you're going to miss out on a high. You know, maybe you've given up alcohol or drugs for Jesus. And it does talk here, doesn't it, in verse 5 about Babylonians' love of wine. They love wine. They just love to pour it down their necks. But it says wine betrays him. So I think that's because wine doesn't let you look at yourself with sober judgment. You know, like a drunk person, they always think they're the most important person in the room. They think they're the center of the universe. But actually, God is the center of the room. God is the giver of the finest wine and the best new creation joy. So I don't need to spend my time greedily gathering as, as many uh, physical highs as I can possibly lay my hands on. I can, I can give them away. I can spend my time working for justice and waiting for justice. Faithfulness to Jesus is what matters now. So I don't need to miss out on a high either. Or maybe, maybe you just have this great big FOMO overall. <laughs> Did you ever find that? Like, oh, I sort of fear, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out. I sort of fear I've just missed out on some stuff in my life. I, I sort of think about the things I've given up for Jesus and it, it, it makes me sad sometimes. But if that's you, listen to me. If you live your life for Jesus, that's not a waste. You don't miss out on anything. If you let's, let's imagine it differently. If you, if you lived your life for somebody else who was horrible, 
if, if, you, if you were wedded to somebody who was just a nasty, horrible person and you lived your life faithful to them, you, that might be the right thing to do, but, but they would make your life a misery and then they're not good. But you're living your life for Jesus. You're, there's no FOMA there. You're living your life for like the, the bridegroom of all creation, the, the, the captain of your soul, the, the one who was appointed by God to, to be the risen one, the one who loved you so much he came to earth in poverty and then continued to the cross on the Easter road. I mean, you're, you're living for him. And he, he's personally promised to make sure that you, ultimately you don't feel you missed out on a thing. Come to our Lent course, because this week we're going to talk about the bride and the bridegroom and, and this way in which Jesus loves us. So, so come if you want a bit more of that on Wednesday. But I heard a pastor say recently, when they, they were particularly trying to explain the Christian view of sex. And <laughs> they were talking to a mixed audience. And they were saying, look, you're not going to believe this, but some Christians actually give up having sex for, for Jesus because of the position, position they're in, either single or married and not going off and sleeping with other people. And he said, I know that sounds crazy to you. You probably won't understand it unless you can see how wonderful Jesus is. And at the moment, it probably seems like, why would you give up that incredible thing over there for, for, for this? But, but if you can see how wonderful Jesus is, then you'll find that Christians give up all sorts of things for him. I find that even if I blow hot and cold, Jesus will remain faithful. I find that even when I don't know why Jesus would love me, he loves me. I find that even when I'm puffed up and greedy. Jesus gathers me to himself and he says, I love you. I'm gathering you, not as a slave in a net, but so that I can set you free. If you live with regrets or fear of missing out, maybe you could make a list of them in one column. I'm just going to write down, Lord, the, the things I feel I've missed out on. And then in the other column, you could write, Jesus. I don't think I'll ever regret coming to him. Time has gone. And I'd love to have communion with you. But can I encourage you, live, live by faithfulness. Faithfulness to him. He will come. Let's pray together. So the righteous one will live by his faithfulness. And Lord, if you're calling us to this one, please would you equip us for it by the Holy Spirit. Help us to wait for that great day you've promised when Jesus Christ will return and do justice. And help us to be your people in the meantime, we pray, Father. We don't want to spend our lives greedily gathering, but we'd love it to spend it faithfully waiting. And I pray for, for my brothers and sisters here, would you, would you help us to do that? For the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.